become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. You know, when Elle Carberry moved her family to China in 2002, she only knew that she wanted to contribute as an international business leader. And at that time, she was an executive at IBM. She was new to working and living in Asia. Today, Elle is the co-managing director of the China Green and Tech Initiative, a unique collaboration of companies, both Chinese and international, who are working together to promote green technology markets in China. Ellen and her colleagues are working with leaders in China on its green tech agenda, and she's living her double dream to make a big contribution towards a more sustainable world through better business and raising her family in China. So welcome to the show this morning, Elle. Good morning, Kate. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for being part of this. I know that you're actually uh, participating in the very wee hours of the morning from over there in Shanghai, actually, on a business trip. So thank you for, for calling in. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Elle, you know, your business credentials are impressive, and I think that you're um, an important voice to come to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. Um, you're really someone who I know has made a career of understanding complex business problems, particularly in the technology space. Um, you've got more than two decades of experience commercializing new IT products and services in Asia, China, and the U.S. I know you've worked for not only IBM, but Red Hat in uh, their Asia sector. And, you know, I look back to when I think I first knew you, you were in Boston, in Cambridge, um, working with a startup that you helped found called Mainspring. And I'd love it if, rather than me kind of rewinding us backwards um, to look at your career, if you could just start us off by telling us about um, your background and Mm -hmm. how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, okay. Great. Uh, Good morning, Kate, and thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit of my uh, journey and inspiration with others who are on their own journeys and uh, travels. Um, So I would say that uh, my journey began with uh, coming out of a place called Georgetown University, uh, trying to pursue already at a young age to find an international life and existence, and thinking at that time that I wanted to do something in the environmental area. I uh, did internships out of Washington, D.C. for great NGOs like the Audubon Society, working for a fantastic visionary man called Chris Palmer. And out of that, somehow thinking that maybe my journey was to first uh, go into the realm of business and to uh, really learn and understand how businesses 
um, you know, sort of bring their collective assets to a world and to change. And so uh, in a sort of slightly antithetical way from the, those who knew me best, like my family members, I decided to, rather than go down the path of the environmental sort of NGOs, to go work for a place like uh, IBM and to go work for the bluest of the blue chip companies in the world and to really, really learn and understand how business works. And I thought that the uh, best place to do it would be go to the, uh, so to say, the uh, Harvard Business School of uh, Learning by Doing and uh, go learn with IBM, and uh, thus I did. And what I thought would be maybe a two-year trip became an uh, end-to-end, actually 12-year uh, journey with IBM. And I came to find out that uh, IBM was an incredible company with incredible people, and, uh, you know, not only uh, learned a ton, was able to contribute a ton, and, and frankly, uh, you know, just kept staying involved longer and more and more than I could have ever imagined. Uh, at any rate, but then that, uh, that experience at IBM also became very, very involved in, you know, again, a way I could have never known when I first went there at 23 years old, but became very wrapped up in IBM's evolution as a company from what uh, in the business world we might call the product-to-solution transformation, the evolution of uh, purely selling a product to then actually creating a solution for the client, more value for the client, by bringing services and expertise and other kind of advice to the the actual product. Mm -hmm. At any rate... Orient us in time. Sort of where where are we in your so this was in uh, 1983 in Washington, D.C., when I first joined IBM. And I spent um, uh, uh, just short of 10 years uh, in the IBM sales organization for the IBM company at that time that was purely and only a product company. And then uh, I happened to leave uh, in pursuit of entrepreneurial interests, you know, going to work for what we would today called venture-backed, you know, early-stage tech innovation companies. That was in uh, about 1993, so at the very, very beginning of the sort of venture capital industry. At any rate, so I I sort of exited IBM when IBM was having a, uh, anyway, they were sort of going through a transformation. They were letting, sort of letting people leave and paying out their pensions, and I was 30 couple years old, and I had no debt. And I thought, well, they're going to, pardon me, pay me to leave, and I'm going to go, you know, get involved in early stage companies. So I, I did, and it turned out that um, during that time, I was then gone from IBM for about nine years in venture backed companies, and so then that was another incredibly, you know, rich and uh, environment to really, really learn how to uh, commercialize technology under the house of a startup company versus the big three blue letters called IBM where you're kind of uh, quite remote and distant from what does it really mean <laughs> to you know, yeah. bring technologies to market. So in that chapter of nine years, I worked for three different companies, uh, each of which became absolutely fundamental to my um, development as a, as a you know, professional and as a, as a person. And one of those was a uh, very advanced high-tech, uh, what you know then we called an environmental technology company, and what I would sort of today 
put under the label of green tech or what people call clean tech. And anyway, but that was now in the early 90s trying to commercialize a, a green technology in the United States. And anybody who's in the green tech world in the United States today knows that uh, it is a sort of inconsistent, non-very, not predictable kind of regulatory environment for uh, clean tech, green tech in the United States, which for these kinds of changes, because they're so wrapped up in the the use or the um, supply of energy, uh, government policy has a very, very, very big impact on the creation of these new markets. But anyway, this was back in the 90s, so needless to say, it was in an even earlier stage uh, of trying to bring, you know, mm-hmm. environmental tech or clean tech to market, and essentially that company went bankrupt. So, so you, so you, so I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, Alan. You you said that you, know, you did, you worked at three, or you worked with three different companies <laughs> in that nine year period, and that each of those experiences really contributed to your own development right. and your own understanding of how to bring, how to commercialize technology, and and you also contrasted that to those years at IBM, the the sort of um, big business perspective on bringing right. technology forward versus the startup perspective. And, you know, just tell us quickly, but we're going to take a break in a minute, but tell us quickly what, um, about the other two. Yeah, so uh, so one was an environmental tech company, which was my passion and love, you know, from always from the beginning. Uh, the second one was then um, working in the beginning of the online internet business uh, with a company called Ziff Davis Online. And uh, mm-hmm. Ziff Davis was the first publisher of a four-fee online business community that was called um, ZDNet or Ziff Davis Online, and it had an even earlier name, but these people were absolutely the innovators of that, uh, what is today the entire sort of, almost entirely the online experience. And then uh, third was I worked for a company called Mainspring that uh, we created into the sort of best of internet uh, strategic research and consulting firms that then we sold to IBM. And so then I ended up coming back into my second chapter at IBM through the, uh, IBM's acquisition of my company. I so, see. That, so, so that was yeah. when. So by now, we're at, we're at what, the year 2000? We're 2001. 2001. Yeah, 2001. Right. so about 10 years later. Yeah, yeah okay. Good. Well, you know, I like to have you tell that story in part because I think as people are listening, um, I often get people, you know, work, who want to have a vision for their lives, for their careers, who kind of look at where they are and say, what is where I, you know, where, what does it have to do with my future where I am right now? You know, so I think what you've just done is in a really great way have just lined up sort of a decade of great learning where you were moving from one amazing learning experience to the next and ultimately found yourself back with IBM in a very different kind of context in 2001. Um, so I want to just I want to just pause you there because I know that from there you sort of leap into the next big chapter. We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, you know, as you think about your journey of learning, do you have any any insights about what you learned in that decade that became important to you going forward? We have about a minute. Okay, in the uh, the decade of working for the early stage companies? Yeah. 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 In the early stage companies, um, you know, the learning uh, innumerable, I can't even begin to consolidate into a minute, but so much about, um, you know, really having to understand your market, really having to understand how to create value for uh, a customer, 
and having to, you know, think and act strategically and tactically, you know, simultaneously, minute by minute, you know, day by day. And the power of um, having a very, very strong uh, commercial stomach and a commercial instinct and the leadership to push through uh, all kinds of questions that don't have a definitive answer to them, but where ultimately it's about the judgment of a leadership team about what is the commercial, you know, potential and commercial possibilities where there, there, there's no roadmaps, there's no books, there's no black and white answers. So that's, that's uh, perfect, Alan. I think, I think I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there, but I think that that does sound like, um, you went to the, the, uh, what's the right word? The boot camp <laughs> for learning <laughs> about these things. So we'll be right back and we'll learn more about Ellen's journey and where she is today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate Ebner, Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. And this morning I am talking to Elle Carberry, who is the co-managing director of the China Green Tech Initiative. We're going to learn about Elle's vision, but also we want to really hear about her, her pathway because I think what she represents to me is a pretty bold American business leader who is uh, working internationally toward a vision that she has for the world. So, Elle, welcome back. Thank you. And right before the break, we were talking about um, sort of the decade of learning, we'll call it. Actually, you've had many decades of learning. So we were focused on the 90s up till 2001. And um, I know that, um, you know, at that time, you, again, were living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You were contemplating some big changes and I would love if you could just tell us how you got from there to where you are today 
Yeah. Okay. So, um, so many things in life are unpredictable, and a lot of things I've learned is about really listening to yourself and listening to your heart and soul. And so, um, when I was at a time where we were now in the process of selling a uh, NASDAQ-listed publicly traded company to the IBM Corporation, uh, it, it transpired that uh, we were this all worked. That we, we sold this company in a very positive, successful way to IBM. And then we began to, we, we began to uh, create for IBM their global strategy consulting business. And as a brand new go-to-market uh, business uh, division, if you will, or business unit for the IBM company. And uh, so at the time that that was underway, I went to my uh, boss uh, for the, the prior startup company that IBM purchased called Mainspring. Uh, my boss, the, the uh, greatest uh, CEO and leader I've known of all my years of working, a man named John Connolly. And I told him, I said, John, I said, uh, you know, now that I'm going back to IBM to do a second chapter, I think I'm going to try to do something at IBM that only is possible at a place like IBM. And I think I'm going to try to, you know, go to China. And he looked at me, this was uh, February of 2001, sitting in Cambridge, you know, in our building right next to the uh, MIT Sloan School. He looked at me and he thought I was out of my mind mad. (laughs) (laughs) He looked at me, you know, blonde American, you know, woman of, uh, uh, you know, European, you know, German, you know, ancestry, Irish ancestry. He said, you, "You? you're going to China? So that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, no, John, uh, this is not a joke. This is real. <laughs> yeah. I would like to you know, find a way to do something that only, only a company like IBM could make possible. Uh, you know, a fantastic venture-backed startup company in Cambridge, Mass., you know, it's not that easy to go to China with a family of you know, four. But under and with IBM, it's possible. No matter... So, uh, so it happened that one day, someone called me from Tokyo, IBM's Asia-Pac headquarters, for the, uh, uh, in particular, the IBM Global Services Company. We were purchased as a services company into now the services in a half of IBM that had, had started and emerged while I was gone for 10 years. And then our acquisition was a part of this very strategic continuing transformation of the IBM company to become, you know, ever more services-led company. At any rate, so the Asia-Pac Global Headquarters in Tokyo called me up and said, oh, we hear you are an expert on the following. Could you send us some materials here? We're having a training class in Tokyo next week. And I heard that, you know, and now being entrepreneurial, I said, huh, I've got to find a way into a role in uh, China. Uh, You know, nobody's sitting here in uh, you know, New England is going to help me do that. I better get myself into Asia. <laughs> and these people need my help. And so I said to the woman, I said, how about I come and teach that to your group next week in Tokyo? How about you pay for me to get on the plane and I'll come and do it for you? And she said, oh, what a fantastic idea. Uh, I'll be right back. It's uh, something like at this time, 9 o'clock in the evening in Cambridge. And I'm at my desk working away. <laughs> and she hung up the phone. You know, it was 10 a.m. in Tokyo. She called me back 20 minutes later, and she said, done. Uh, you have a flight to Tokyo next week. Can you be here, you know, on Monday? And it was like Thursday. So, wow. so I said, okay, no problem. I'll confer with my boss in the morning, and I'll come back to you tomorrow. At any rate, so then I 
the rest is history. But I, you know, went to Tokyo that week, and uh, you know, and I began, you know, really trying to understand as an entrepreneur, how could I, you know, uh, as a kind of newly badged, you know, banded level IBM executive, create value for the IBM Corporation in Asia Pacific. And, you know, found my way into a range of meetings and discussions, you know, in a very short period of time and started creating, you know, a value proposition for those of my, let's say, teammates. And uh, so within, I was there a week and by the time I came home, I had a job offer. Uh, And that was to be the head of the uh, IBM Global Services for China, for the financial sector, the banks and the insurance companies. And within nine months later... You know, my family and I um, moved to Beijing, and, and uh, this is around November '02, and we've uh, just passed our 10th year anniversary. Uh, uh, you know, a, full, a few uh, months ago, so now it's you been know, a full 10 years. You know, that's a it's a story that I don't I don't know if you tell that story very often to people. Do you? Uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's I'm glad you did because I think sometimes we are. You know, we're all waiting for that hand to reach down and lift us up and take us where we want to go. And I really like that you just shared a story about um, realizing what you wanted and asking for it, actually, and then recognizing that opportunity when it came and finding a way to to make it happen. I mean, that that's just an, an amazing. Um, it, you know, it, you told it so calmly and steadily, like it was kind of no big deal. But actually, I think it is. I think that what the way you approached. Um, making your dream happen at that time is really quite remarkable. Um, and Ellen, I want to I want to remind you of something. I don't know if you remember. You attended a retreat that we did for um, women leaders um, back in yes, 2008. Yes, I remember very clearly. Yeah, that yeah. Was in January of 08. Yeah, yeah. And that was you know you were on the brink. I think of you were already in China, but you were on the brink of this um, amazing uh, work that you're doing today. And we were um, dedicating time to really. Uh, letting visions develop and be expressed. But you told a story when we were on that retreat about um, the the moment, actually, I believe it was, I think you might have been on an airplane, when you realized that you wanted to raise your family in China. Do you mind mm. just telling telling us that story? Not at all. So, again, in retrospect, one understands one life, one's life in a manner that you don't always understand as it's unfolding. Right? So I had uh, immediately post-Georgetown, I had decided to go um, and give back. And had worked for a uh, UN uh, refugee camp in the Philippines, which was uh, the holding place for the uh, refugees coming out of um, uh, Vietnam and Cambodia that were being kind of now absorbed and, you know, kind of uh, settled in places around the world. So Georgetown had made it possible. Georgetown's this kind of a place, you know, with its Jesuit tradition of service and its international background, they had made it possible for young people to do such things. So I was working in this refugee camp in uh, Bataan, uh, the Philippines, for about nine months. The camp was uh, largely 14,000 people, largely Vietnamese, and largely Vietnamese Chinese, who were mostly the, uh, the boat people who left uh, Vietnam post the whole you know, uh, uh, Vietnam War and all of this. And during that time, I, through that experience, became really, it was my first introduction to Asia, and in a kind of melting pot of... Uh, ethnic Chinese, Vietnamese, Cambodians, Filipinos, very much a melting pot, and uh, became aware of China, actually, through these ethnic, these ethnic Chinese people who had 
you know, left Vietnam. And so uh, at the end of nine months, I was now on a plane, you know, a long flight back to America, you know, really wondering, okay, now I got to, you know, really start to think about my life. That was a great volunteerism experience. Now I've got to get serious. I've got to go find a job. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. What is that? I have no idea. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as I was taking that long flight, I thought, you know, uh, I bet, you know, I should someday in the future raise my children in China. Of course, I had no children at that time. I had no husband at that time. I, frankly, at you know, 24 years old, was not thinking about those things. I was, you know, quite content to go off and uh, be a you know a young, independent you know woman professional for some years before I got married and had children. But I, I nonetheless took the view that someday later, when I had children, that I would like them to grow up with an international experience. And I felt that uh, at that this era in our world that having an international experience with China rather than maybe uh, the kind of more European tradition that kind of, you know, was a lot of the U.S.'s founding, you know, in the Mm -hmm. 1700s, and I thought, oh, my family, my children at this point in the world should have an experience that's more Asian and should be China-specific. And so that's just a view that I had at 24 years old. And so then, uh, as you said, Kathy, it wasn't you know, it was almost 20 years later when I happened to be, you know, in a company that we were selling to IBM, and I knew enough about IBM from having worked there previously for nine years, that I said, ah, I now have children, I have husband, I have a job <laughs> at IBM, I'm going back to work at IBM, and I bet I could go work at IBM in China. Fantastic, and Ellen. my idea. Yeah, you know, was, we're going to... It was a little crazy, here- but it there, and there you are now with your son and your daughter, and you've been there for a decade and have been raising them there. I know they speak Chinese. It's a really fantastic family vision. We're going to take a break, and when we come right back, we're going to talk about the China Green Tech Initiative. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to Thrive By. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate Ebner. I'm speaking to Alan Carberry, co-managing director of the China Green Tech Initiative this morning. Elle is joining me from Shanghai, actually, where she is on a business trip. And it's very, very early in the morning there for her. So I'm glad that she's with us. And I'm sitting here marveling over what technology can do, that we can be talking to you, Elle, in Shanghai while being broadcast from Arizona. And I am here in Washington, D.C. So that's the modern day. Um, before we took a break, Elle, we were talking about you know, your foresight, actually, your vision of raising a family in China, a vision that you had even before you had children and a husband, um, your foresight in terms of your career and sort of your long-term interest in environmental concerns from a business perspective and the, the decade you spent, you know, learning um, firsthand how to bring emerging technologies or commercializing technology um, in the marketplace. And all of this prepared you for the big opportunity that came, which was to go to China through IBM um, a little more than a decade ago. Today, Ellen, I know that you are um, co-managing the China Green Tech Initiative and that that's something that you have founded and are really um, pioneering. So I want to jump there and have you tell us um, tell us about the China Green Tech Initiative. What is it? Mm-hmm. It is a, a unique Chinese and international, what we call a commercial collaboration platform, uh, it is comprised of about 100 organizations, and from those organizations, about nearly 600 people today, who together are focused on a very simple mission, which is to identify and to develop and promote the use of green tech uh, for the needs of China at this point in its evolution, and then also with China as it's going global on this green tech agenda. And so what is on the one hand trying to help and work on the kind of green, sustainable, what sometimes China calls that it's low carbon uh, development model at this point in its um, development as a nation. It is also about connecting more and more now the multiple nations working together on what is very, very much a global green tech industry because green tech is fundamentally underneath it all about the use of energy, and energy is a global business. So the Green Tech Initiative in China is about finding those opportunities for where solutions existing and emerging can be applied to the needs of China and, frankly, to a broader world that evermore now needs solutions to, frankly, uh, continue to and develop life in a, you know, the way we live today, you know, with, you know, personal mobility, you know, electronic gadgets and gears of all type, you know, all kinds of things we have in our lives but that require energy. But at the same time, as we know, uh, you know, this energy use, this energy intensive use we have in our lives 
is also causing a strain on the resources of the planet. And as nations like China are going to uh, urbanize some 400 million people in the next 20 years, the uh, largest urban, excuse me, world to urban you know, mass migration ever on the planet, and that's just China, and there's also similar things happening in India and Indonesia and Brazil, you know, there's basically a view that, you know, these nations will, you know, uh, become more developed nations. Their people will become middle class. When people become middle class, they have a much, much greater use of energy and water, you know, factor of, uh, I think, seven for energy and four for water. And that puts an incredible strain on the planet. And some people say that the simple analogy is that, you know, we will need five planets, the resources of five planets to support the, you know, the, you know, expanding population of the world over the next, you know, 50 years. So the China Green Tech is essentially trying to help explore how to solve that very, very, you know, fundamental problem that is underway, you know, in our generation and believes that tech innovation is very, very much a part of the answer. It's not the only thing for sure, but it is definitely a part of the answer. You know, the simple idea that the power of the sun could be harnessed as an energy source in a manner that is much, much, much less detrimental to the planet than, let's say, the burning of fossil fuels. So it's all about exploring how do we continue to evolve our life on this planet with, you know, five and seven million people living, you know, many, many more of them living the middle class life that many of us enjoy, (laughs) not having to give up things, but still somehow make life sustainable on one planet instead of five and feeling that tech innovation is a part of the necessary solution for for that equation to solve for itself, if you will, you know, over the next 30 and 50 years. I remember once you explained this to me and you were telling me that, you know, the China Green Tech Initiative really wanted to work at the intersection of these big environmental problems that you really wanted to um, go right in there, so to speak, and tackle this issue of um, how to develop as a as a society, as a humankind, you know, while simultaneously um, learning how to sustain on, on the planet. And so these are big questions that you all are tackling. Right. And tell, tell, tell us, you know, I know, um, Ellen, that, um, that the way that China Green Tech Initiative yeah. operates is collaboratively <laughs> and that these, um, these 600 um, individuals and 100 organizations that are involved in the initiative are a real range of diverse companies and organizations mm-hmm. that are coming together to engage. So tell us about that. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, so great. So we, we see the big fundamental problem. We want to work together to solve it. We also, by the way, want to work together to solve it in, let's say, three-year increments. You know, so again, for my life in publicly traded or you know, venture-backed companies, I'm very, very aware that progress really has to happen in an incremental fashion, right? It has to, you know, if you, pardon me, if you take money from the IBM treasure, you know, as I had to, uh, you know, when I started up a, a business plan for IBM Global Services in China, or if you take money from a venture capital firm, you know, at my prior company, Mainstream, you have to give back. You owe somebody money. <laughs> you 
you know, a 30% return in three years or five years or seven years. So we are trying to serve, solve this problem with people who care about tech innovation, either the development of it, the deployment of it, or let's say the financing of it. And all those people are accountable to someone's money and have to give a return in the near-term time frame. So we are now trying to work together to create tangible results, you know, three years, three years, three years at a time, and find where and how we can keep solving the problem, advancing the market, creating, you know, solutions in these, you know, very tangible steps, if you will, of two and three years at a time. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that that's clear. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's very clear. A couple of things strike me about that. I'm sort of fascinated with the three-year increment concept. I I have found as someone who has helped lead change that organizational change or um, structural change can, it usually takes three years, you know, so in that fourth year, you're ready to start again, you know, so that seems like a very um, natural increment. And then I have to go back to the story you told us about that decade of learning that t- that nine years where you worked in three companies in three-year increments pretty yeah, much. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> your lessons came in three-year increments. So so right. it's a familiar pattern for you. Um, yeah. And, and tell, tell me, um, I know that... Um, so, so the collaboration part, I want to, yeah, you know, you were asking there. about that Please. and I didn't yet answer your question. So Great. I just wanted to frame kind of a little bit about, you know, the kind of how we're doing this. Now, the, so given that, we then said... Um, you know, the solution to these, uh, let's say, these, or well, the creation of these new solutions has uh, a lot to do with uh, traditional industries moving out of their traditional boxes. And, you know, a lot of innovation in the world generally will happen, you know, across the boundaries of traditional market spaces or companies or industries, right? That's just mm-hmm. sort of one part of how innovation happens. So we said, okay, if we're going to solve this problem, we have to bring together a large and diverse range of parties. And we decided that those parties, you know, would fulfill what we think of as five key roles in any industry, the tech sellers, the tech buyers or adopters, the people who provide the financing, either debt or equity, people who provide services, like my, you know, beloved former employer, IBM, and people who provide the policy environment. So we work very, very hard to bring in a range of parties from those five roles. And then we work very, very hard to make sure that they are coming from the different nations of the world. So the companies involved come from, of course, China. And then internationally, they come from Germany and France. They're Dutch, they're Israeli, they're Japanese, they're Australian, they're North American. And in a place like Beijing and Shanghai or places like those two cities, you know, all of these, you know, Companies of various sizes and shapes are working from around the world, you know, together on developing these new solutions for the world. I so have to we, tell you, Elle, it's so heartening to actually hear you describe that diverse um, group of stakeholders, if you will, representing <clears throat> all of us coming together. We're going to take a break right now, and I'd love to have you continue to talk about the yeah. Green Tech Initiative when we come back. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. 
On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate Ebner, and I'm speaking today with El Carberry, co-managing director of the China Green Tech Initiative. We are talking about um, a very exciting and I think heartening collaboration that's happening in China, a conversation about actually what we can do to improve the way that we use energy um, in an ever-developing world. So, El, right before the break, we got really talking about this this vision of collaboration, the way that people are really coming together to work on these hard problems. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, is that, has it been hard to get people to come to the table? Uh, you know, there are many, many people who said, oh, you know, companies won't collaborate around things like, uh, you know, new technologies. And, and also we heard things like, uh, well, maybe that's a concept that North America understands, but that's not necessarily a concept that is so well understood around other parts of the world. So, uh, well, you know, we heard those things and we said, well, you know, we think that, uh, first of all, we're not collaborating around companies' proprietary technology assets. Those are clearly, clearly patented proprietary, you know, the key core values of many, many of these companies. But what we are collaborating around is the understanding of the market the diagnosis of a market, the where exactly to, you know, go into the market, right? So if you could imagine that in 30 years we're all driving vehicles that are very, very different looking. You know, if you see what General Motors has, you know, showed at the World Expo here in Shanghai, you know, three years ago, you know, it looks like the Jetsons, you know, from the comic strips that we watched when we were children in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know... You could imagine we will get there, right? But the, how do we do that every three years is a different story, right? Uh-huh. And that's where we have to get really tangible about what incremental changes can we make in these tangible ways. So it's the market understanding, and it's also the aggregation of different pieces of new ecosystems that have to come together to work together. So the, the vehicles, for instance, if they today are powered by an internal combustion engine, that works on a fossil fuel, 
and with uh, all the other pieces in it are largely running off of belts, you know, that move when that, you know, engine powered by gasoline moves. You know, imagine that the whole interior of that, you know, future vehicle is going to be run on electronics. You know, it's going to look much, much more like my computer and my life that I've lived at IBM, uh, you know, in the IT sector for, you know, two-thirds of my life, right? So right. then the whole ecosystem around the vehicle business is going to change because it's going to come from the electronics industry instead of the, you know, mechanical kind of pieces and things that work together. Anyway, just one example of how much yeah, yeah. all these industries have to change. And so we felt we had to work together to bring companies out of their parochial kind of confines, right? Yes. Uh, so, and so work now, together to solve. Yeah. Let me pause us for a second again because yeah. I wanna I wanna just I, I feel like we're operating in a dialogue through your work that is um in our future as listeners, but we don't we're we're not in that conversation every day the way that you are. And what I think I just heard you say is you just said that the reason our cars are shaped and made the way they are, for example, is because of the mechanics that it takes to run them based on our yes. current fuel fuel situation and the way that um what's available to us at the, at the time that we created this mode of transportation. But with technology evolving, the shapes of our vehicles is one example, sort of the materials, how we get from here to there can and will change as technology evolves and as we have newer, different, yes. better ways. Yes. You know, so our, our, our future is sort of emerging out of what's possible in our in our present understanding, and that's mm-hmm. really that's right where the intersection is, where your your work is. Am I? And that's one example. Correct. That's, that's only exactly one. Right. Yeah, right. That's exactly. Okay. Right. Very very so. cool to hear you talk about. So, you know, so so tell us more. You know, in terms of of what you hope to accomplish with the China Green Tech Initiative. You know, if you could give it to us, kind of in a nutshell. You know, like what yeah. what would what, what is it that you think that um, this collaboration is going to lead yeah. to? Yeah, we're essentially trying to help these companies accelerate their either development of the solutions or their development of the adoption or the development of the money that needs to go behind these new uh, solutions and industries. And so now after doing this for four years, you know, we absolutely are finding that we are accelerating. So, you know, one example is, uh, and we run a, a annual recurring uh, partner program where these companies come together, they work together around a body of knowledge and insights, they work together in very, very highly governed, facilitated, structured convening mechanisms. So, by the way, collaboration needs a lot of governance. It needs a lot of uh, a very careful management. Otherwise, it's chaos, right? So, collaboration <laughs> is not, it's an easy word to say, but it needs a lot of governance, structure, management, attention. Okay, so our platform is providing all of these things to enable the collaboration, and then out of the collaboration, companies are accelerating their way to, you know, new tech innovation, new projects, new partners, you know, new ways to deploy technology. So, you know, one beautiful example uh, is where nine of these companies who have been working with us all of them starting already at our various earliest time in 2008 were able to accelerate their business. So there are a couple startup companies who were able to raise money from the you know very, very early stage green tech focused investors in China, which 
you know, four, five, six years ago, there were not many green tech-focused venture capital firms in China, just by the way. So we were able to bring together these very visionary venture capital people with the startup companies. Then we were able to bring together the startup companies who were in this one example were working on innovation in the clean coal value chain in the how is coal used in new ways that is uh, frankly, you know, less polluting and more efficient than petroleum, okay? Yeah. Uh, So in this case, then we were able to align them up with a large German chemical company. And those two companies over the last 18 months developed patented chemical value chains. So in the, let's say, the kind of, you know, chemical business, sort of the advanced materials business, innovation is, you know, is in patented value chains, in this case, chemical value chains that then create the, you know, high value upstream chemical products. In this type of case, you know, coal derived instead of petroleum derived, which is, you know, still right. fossil fuels, but less, uh, you know, ultimate impact yeah. on the climate. And yeah. by the way, less use of energy. Yeah. So these two companies now are going to market with new products because of their you know, knowledge that they gathered through the collaboration platform, through the partnerships they formed, and through the discrete, tangible focus on key opportunities that they decided about when they were working together in this, you know, sort of shared learning, shared partnering, and shared acceleration model. Fabulous. You know, El, we're up on our time, and it has raced by in this hour with you. I realize that as you're talking, you're talking very slowly so that we can follow you as you're talking, <laughs> describing these complex ideas to us. But it's exciting to have an example like that and to have a chance to understand how innovation is happening and where innovation is happening. And I know that the China Green Tech Initiative is really a platform for building on best-in-class uh, ideas with top companies and, and helping to bring together the resources to put behind the technologies to put into the innovation that you're describing here. And I really want to commend you, and I know it's time to wrap up. So what I, what I want our listening audience to know is that here is a, as you put it, a blonde businesswoman, Georgetown graduate, who wanted to move with her family to China and make a difference in terms of the, the sustainability of the planet through the work she does through business. And here she is doing it, and I think still doesn't speak a whole lot of Chinese, which is get one more excuse we often make to ourselves is I'm not ready. So I commend you, Elle. I thank you so much for joining us today. I think you've given us a lot to think about. And um, for anyone interested, check out our newsletter to find out more about Ellen Carberry. Thank you very much for joining us, Ellen. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for the opportunity. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 